you know, I think if you look at, at, at when markets start to move in one way or the other, typically they're, they're preceded by great volatility. Well, hello there, my friends. Chris Marquez here with you for Arcadia Economics on a Tuesday morning, where once again, it's time to dig into the physical silver market. We will be touching on gold as well, but nice to have Andy Sheckman joining me, who, of course, is part of Miles Franklin, so sees what is happening on the front lines of the retail physical gold and silver market. So, Andy, great to have you back here on Tuesday, as always, and how's everything going with you so far today? It's going good, Chris. Good to see you, buddy. I'm kind of out of body. I'm, I uh, I spent uh, two days in Las Vegas with my old friends from Minnesota watching what was the worst football game I've ever seen in my entire life. But I came home with one undeniable reality, and that is that I am not 21 years old any longer. And Vegas uh, used to really, I could just brush it off in the morning, go have a Bloody Mary and breakfast and be ready to go again. But it's good to be back. I made it back in one piece and that my Vikings won as horrible of a game as it was. Uh, I'm back in one piece and ready to do this again. The year's almost over, brother. I can't even believe it. It's like, wake up and here we are, 2024, right on the doorstep. So good to be back. Glad I made it home and uh, good to see you. Well, welcome back home and glad to hear you had a good time out there and perhaps following the gold and silver markets is good training to be prepared for some volatile swings as yeah. happens in Las Vegas as well. And curious now that we're about a week and a half removed from that move up to 2150 in gold and back down. Obviously, I get it that people who want to see the price higher are a little disappointed that the new highs didn't stick. To me, my takeaway is perhaps to see that gold has gone over the 2150 level and maybe even more significantly that now we've seen gold go up 150 bucks in a week, come down $150 in a week. Certainly that was something that Jim Sinclair and others talked about that mm -hmm. as the evolution of central bank money printing programs and debt burdens reaches the next stage of things that we would see bigger moves coming in the gold and silver markets. So curious now that you've had a, a little bit of time to reflect on that, if that's your same takeaway or any other thoughts you have on what we've seen in the past week and a half. Yeah. I, I like your take on that, to be honest with you. And I, you know, I think if you look at, at, at when markets start to move in one way or the other, typically they're, they're preceded by great volatility and, and, Look, this is not going to be an easy run. Um, no question about it. Uh, great volatility, to be for sure. And yeah, I remember Jim always saying that you'd see silver move in, you know, not just in in dollars, but maybe tens of dollars, and gold moving in hundreds of dollars. And yeah, we saw that. We saw just how fast it can move. But look, the the banks, the the, the central banks, the commercial banks, really, they're still in control of the of the price of gold and silver, and until they're not. And the West has a system that is slipping away from them and they're going to cling to it to the best of their ability. And, and the canary in the mine shaft is accelerating gold and silver. It's not just a commodity. It's, it's an indicator that the emperor wears no clothing. It's an indicator that, 
that the system really is filled with fragility and is is over leveraged and undercapitalized and all of these things. There's a magnifying glass that shines upon those things when the price of gold and silver takes off. So it's a lot more than just doing well on your investment or on your position of gold and silver. What it really is is kind of, I think, the the exclamation point behind everything that we've been talking about for a very long time. So, yes, I think we'll see more of that as time goes on. And I think there'll be a Monday morning when we wake up and the commercial banks have given up trying to suppress the price. They've given up naked shorting and they've suckered the managed money into going record short. And then it will just run. Now, we've been expecting that for a very long time. And, you know, that should be the cover of the new abridged uh, Little boy who cries wolf, it will just run. But look, the wolf comes at some point. So I think that that's something that we've just become accustomed to and which makes it that much harder to hang on tight. But look, look, I mean, in, in, 20, uh, in 2023, the U.S. government took in $4.4 trillion in tax revenue, but their expenses are at $6.3 trillion. And I was reading something that says that next year it's supposed to be 6.8 and then 7.1 and then the next year up all the way up to 10 trillion by 2033. And so when you talk about the reasons to own gold, our tax revenues are decreasing as the economy is getting tougher and our government is addicted to spending and the dollar's in trouble. And I think that's exactly why they don't want to let the price of gold and silver take off for people to realize that this is a game that will not end well for the West. And uh, I expect to see much greater volatility. And on these pullbacks, look, do what the big money is doing. And the big money, the, the governments around the world, Turkey and China and, and, and Saudi Arabia and, and, and all of the, 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 the central banks are massively accumulating gold and silver, not just gold, but they're also accumulating silver. And use this as an opportunity, I think, to... Do exactly what they're doing. It's a, you know, it's it's a subsidy, and um, you know we've talked a lot about Turkey buying a whole lot of gold, but they also just bought a whole bunch of silver, and you know more so than they ever have. Their their imports for twenty twenty three are already at a new record of almost thirty two million ounces. So these countries that are using the Western suppression to de-dollarize and to accumulate massive amounts of gold and silver. Well, that's what we need to do. And whether it's massive or small bits, you know, instead of getting um, dejected, which is easy to do after all of these years, stay with the plan. Trust your gut. This will not end well mathematically. One last point, you know, to, to, to hammer this home, and that is that when I look back at the things that we've talked about as a company, where you and I personally or professionally for a very long time, the majority of everything we ever talk about happens usually much longer or later than we had anticipated and usually for reasons that we didn't see coming. But when you're, when you're looking at things through a lens of economics and mathematics and a sprinkling of old school logic, they come true. You just have to hang on. And looking back over 34 years, sometimes hanging on means hanging on a lot longer than we would like. But this volatility that we're seeing, I think, is a precursor to some sort of a movement. And is it the ultimate movement? Or is it a notch higher and then more volatility and then a notch higher and more volatility? I don't know, but um, I think the only way to really deal with it, if you believe the math, if you believe the economics, if you believe the logic, 
if you believe the central banks that have a script, have a playbook, then do what they do and use these pullbacks as as a subsidy and, and as as a way to increase your position in a world that's getting increasingly insane. So with that said, I'm curious, in that past week and a half, how have people been responding? Were they concerned, frustrated? Uh, I'm assuming there was probably not a lot of physical gold and silver selling, but just curious how people have actually responded to what, what they saw over the past week. We see and hear less angst about moves like this than we do when we languish through extended periods of um, flatlining or, or slowly, you know, moving lower. The, the volatility people have become accustomed to, and I think it only, uh, I think the people who get it, the people who have been accumulating, I think they understand exactly what this volatility represents. I think they understand that the West is losing a battle. So maybe the people who bought when gold, you know, top ticked at, at 2,100 plus or the people who bought silver at 25 plus are a little disappointed. But no, we see less in, the ter- in terms of uh, anger or exasperation in this environment than we would if the price just languished in a world where it should be going the other direction. I think the people who watch this closely understand exactly what this volatility is. On one end, you got massive buying, Asian buying, central bank buying, BRICS buying. On the other end, you have the West who's trying to maintain this illusion of of dollar strength and um, the hegemony of the West is clinging. And and what better way to to take a look at at the, the authenticity of the Western system than through the lens of gold and silver. And I think people understand that. So um, no, uh, you know, actually our business has been just fine this week. And there are a lot of things in this industry, Chris, that are counterintuitive to logic. But I do think the people that have been paying attention understand it. What this volatility really does to me is that, you know, the money manager across my across the street from me who gives me crap all the time when the price of gold and silver falls, well, that gives him fodder. and. When the people who are mainstream, who, you know, who are, who are giving uh, analysis about, you know, the dollar and the soft landing and, you know, uh, the, the economy turning around and all of these things and no reasons to buy gold, well, it gives them stuff to talk about, too. But other people who have been following us and you and reading the, the, the alternative sources of information, not just following Fox and CNBC, um, I think they understand exactly what this is. And, and, and as we get closer to some sort of resolution uh, with the markets and with the dollar and the political and the geopolitical and all of the things that are swirling faster and faster and faster, they understand that this is a, a battle. And I don't want to go as far as saying between good and evil, but you can use that if you want. It's a battle for, for you know, high stakes. I'll put it to you that way. It's a high stakes battle. And Really, it is a an indictment against the West and the Western system. And I think the people watching this understand. And they know that the West still is powerful enough to do all they can to not allow things to take off in that manner. They would much rather see it slowly rise than to see it take off and shine a light upon everything that really is unfavorable in terms of, of the Western system. And um, so, no, I I think it's surprising that we really, I haven't gotten anything in the way of of people saying, I give up, I throw up my hands. No, if anything, 
the pullback has increased our business. It was slower when the price was going up, you know, over those two days, people were reluctant to jump on board. And <clears throat> I think there's something wise in that because, you know, when you jump on board as the price is flying, that's FOMO. But when you take a step back and you buy on the dips, that's logic. And that's what we've seen a little bit of the last week or so. Well, I would certainly hope people aren't throwing in the towels. Again, we just, in the gold side, hit that new all-time high just a week and a half ago. So I get it. People want to see $2,500, $3,000 gold. I guess that comes in its own due time. And here we are, even despite the sell-off of the past week and a half, sitting just around that $2,000 mark as we record early on Tuesday morning just a little bit below that level although interesting as a lot of the banks are putting out their research and forecasts for next year the majority of them are talking about gold prices above 2000 largely predicated on a belief that there will be fed cuts in 2024 obviously we could debate when the first cut is uh personally when i hear march I think that sounds a bit soon unless there's some sort of big issue that pops up, which certainly is not impossible, but... Well, what happens in March? Do you remember? What happens in March is that short-term bank lending program that has roughly $120 billion owed to it, it sunsets in March. So is the Fed going to extend the program? Or are they going to say, no, you banks need to pay up? And there were banks on that list, Chris, that it, that had borrowed as much as 130% of their equity at onerous rates, posting collateral. So what happens at the same time as M2 is falling off the cliff the most since the Great Depression and, and the economy is slowing, that is going to start to put real strain on the businesses and the corporations that need that cash to operate, to, to do the things that maybe the last several years of Low interest rates and easy money uh, incentivize them to expand bigger than they otherwise would have. And, and, and to see the cash draining out of the system is probably a precursor to greater problems in the economy. And, and I think that when you look at what could happen in March, I don't. if I were a betting guy using Vegas as an analogy since I was just there, I would say all the money would be on March and April to see some real problems as the banking crisis maybe takes it to a next level as all of these banks have to pay back those loans that they borrowed from the fed which just hit an all-time high again it's not getting any better for these banks and this environment especially of a of a falling m2 the falling money supply the tightening lending standards credit issues these are all uh, i think omen, uh, bad omens to what we could expect to see in march and april and and you know, I don't think the Fed wants to cut. Maybe they'll be forced to cut. But what does that really say to the rest of the world? The rest of the world, if, if they're wise, they'll say, well, shit, you know, they've chosen inflation over austerity. They will never fix their balance sheet. It's kind of what's going on with the Bank of Japan, you know. Oh, we're going to get, we're going to fix this. We're going to get tough. And, well, they're not raising rates anymore. And, and the minute they do, it starts to break. Look what happened in the U.K., as soon as they started to raise rates, the, the pension issues. You've, we've crossed a line with this stupid monetary policy, the G7 monetary policy of, of interest rate suppression and easy money and the distortions that it's created. It makes it almost impossible to come back without really disrupting and or breaking the system. And if that's what they want to do, fine. But if not, it's inflate 
or die. And it's one of these deals where pick your poison. So yeah, I think, you know, the betting money says we're going to, they'll, they'll pivot in March. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they pivot in reaction to accelerating banking problems, which then accelerate the problems in the economy and the commercial real estate. And, and that eventually spills over into the residential real estate and everyone in, in residential real estate's locked in at 4% or less. And that's great until you lose your job and the economy slows down and so it starts to spiral like a, a series of dominoes and March and April. Sure. I wouldn't be surprised one bit at all to see that happen, but I think it's not a good thing because signals to the rest of the world were trapped. There's really not much we can do, but to choose inflation over austerity, the way that all governments have went all the way back to Roman times. Well, I hear what you're saying. And certainly that is one of the things that will be happening in March it was interesting. I heard <laughs> About a month ago, I heard someone ask Powell what happens upon the conclusion of the program, and sounds like they hadn't really mapped out a solution there yet, Shocking. and still a little bit undecided. Now, in the other direction, in all fairness, uh, reminds me of something I was listening to in a Tom Luongo podcast last night, where now certainly he's been an advocate that the Fed would raise rates higher and for longer than most thought, and certainly to this degree, this point in time he's been correct he mentioned that even when we were having those banking issues the fed kept raising through that so uh we'll cer certainly be fascinating to see how things break and uh play out in march i'll leave myself on the side that unless there's a, a real breakage i think that's a bit early for the rate cut but Again, uh, it seems like there is more consensus that in 2024, we will be getting rate cuts, whether it's March or later on. And um, certainly the gold forecasts are supporting as much. I haven't really seen many banks forecasting $1,800 gold or $1,700. But it seems almost like when you line the dynamics up, it's more debate over how quickly and to what extent things rise rather than which direction it goes in. And perhaps one last thing we can highlight here is something that you were talking about on Zero Hedge. Nice to see your face there. And this was an article with, quote, the Raven Finance. And he was talking about the situation with the BRICS and asked his friend Andy Frank, Andy Sheckman of Miles Franklin, one of the smartest people when it comes to mm -hmm. understanding the dollar globally and Perhaps you could walk through what you were sharing here and talking about in terms of the expansion of the BRICS and the situation with the oil market. Yeah, I've talked for a very long time, Chris, about the BRICS. It's been it's been my central focus. That's no surprise to anyone who's even seen a few of my videos, and that goes back to twenty late twenty nineteen. Um, and I've talked a lot about Saudi Arabia, and and Saudi Arabia is in the news again today. You had you know you had. Putin make a surprise visit, not only to Saudi Arabia, but also to the United Arab Emirates. And that was kind of the premise of this article that uh, that I was asked to contribute to quote the Raven. And, um, you know, little, little, little pieces everywhere, if you look, and, you know, it's still kind of unknown why he was there. A guy that hasn't left the country more than once or twice in the last year or two, because there's, you know, the West has a arrest warrant out for him. 
Yet, you know, um, here he is in the UAE and in Saudi Arabia meeting with uh, the crown prince. But I've talked a lot about Saudi Arabia and how, you know, first Biden signed an executive order to go green. Uh, precursing or, or, or preceding that was, you know, the, the, the contract for mutual uh, military agreement contract that was signed between Russia and Saudi Arabia uh, seven days after we left uh, uh, Afghanistan in, in a in a less than um, in, in a way that was less than what we would anticipate American military would do. Um, and I don't think there was any coincidence in that. But subsequently to all of this, they've all of the OPEC countries are on the Belt Road Initiative. Uh, they've joined the BRICS. They become full fledged members here in just a couple of weeks, January 1st. Uh, they've joined the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, the largest regional military and, uh, and, and financial organization on the planet. And they told the folks in Davos, this is kind of where it starts to dovetail into this article, yeah, we'd be interested in taking other currencies for oil. Now, you could argue they already are uh, in, in, in doing business with China. They're taking the yuan and probably converting that into gold on the Shanghai Gold Exchange. Um, but... They didn't say we are going to take other currencies for oil, but that we would be open to taking other currencies for oil. Well, you know, the interesting part about the United Arab Emirates and, and Putin making a surprise visit there was that they just had this climate meeting in uh, uh, Abu Dhabi, and uh, it was 200 countries from around the world in a UN-sponsored climate meeting. The interesting part about it was that it was being presided over by the head of the state-owned United Arab Emirates oil company. He's the guy presiding over it. And the day before, two days before they invite 200 countries or delegates from 200 countries to this meeting, they made a statement that they no longer wish to take dollars for oil. Now, they're the seventh largest producer of oil in the world. They are an OPEC member. And they were just admitted to BRICS right alongside Saudi Arabia. So you wonder what the conversation was between uh, the leaders of the United Arab Emirates and Saudi Arabia and Putin when he came over and made a, a surprise meeting just after this summit ended and just after the UAE tells the world, hey, you know, we're not going to take dollars for oil anymore. And, and why would they? Right. Why would they uh, when part of the OPEC agreement, Chris, was to recycle those dollars that they get for oil into treasuries? Well, how's that worked over the last couple of years? And and look at the value of the dollar. It's losing seven, eight, nine percent per year to money creation. I don't care what the CPI says. It's a lie. They don't take into account things that are really de uh, destroying the value of the dollar. And look at look at just what. Uh, the shadow stat says those numbers are seven, eight, nine percent. So and that's probably low. But let's call it 7%. So you're losing 7% per year in, in, in the dollars that you accept for oil minimum. You're watching the value of the 10-year treasury uh, lose value because it's, it's when measured against real interest rates, it's still a negative real return. Not working so well. A country that signed an executive order to go green and a country that's not aligned ideologically with, with OPEC, with the, the nations of, of the Middle East. And so why would they? And the BRICS nations are providing safety in numbers. Uh, 40 other countries, 40, have expressed interest. I think 20 have formally applied. And there's still some little shroud of mystery as to who they are. They'll be announced soon. 
Well, look, you have you have a whole. There you go. And if you look Actually, at those you countries, have the list. So I think if you read that article, it it says he thinks those are the countries that will be involved. Pretty sure, but in looking at that, every single one of those countries is more or less natural resource rich, and or a very rapidly expanding economy. And these are the countries that, in and of themselves, mean nothing. Well, look at Turkey right there, right? Turkey, the large, the second largest accumulator of gold in the world this year, massive accumulating silver more than they ever have. Uh, we're just rebuffed from joining the United Nations and more or less said, good, we're done with you then, fine. You know, these are countries, and, and like Uzbekistan, this is a country, I don't know if they're in um, the uh, Eurasian Economic Union, but if not, uh, they're probably applying to it. All of these countries in Endenstan, they all are, are, most of them are part of the, the uh, Eurasian Economic Union. And the president of Belarus just said that the Eurasian Economic Union, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization and the BRICS need to meld together and is calling for a meeting. I've been saying that for three years. It's going to happen. They're all similarly intertwined. And what you see in this slow changing dynamic is exactly why the West wants to suppress gold and silver. They can't let it take off because it, it really incentivizes the rest of the world, I think, to move away from the dollar because it signals that the dollar is, is, is illusionary. The strength is illusionary. And it's, it's really the kryptonite to the system. So this is why there will be this battle. At the same time, all of these countries who are finding strength in number, who have numbers, who have you know two of the three largest nuclear arsenals, who have much greater human population, much greater GDP, larger military might, more than natural resources, and growing uh, with legitimacy. Um, you know, they're the ones accumulating it all. And yet the West, you don't see the West on the list of the countries that are purchasing gold this year. But you do see all of these countries, and Poland kind of sticks out a little bit. That's a, an interesting one. But, um, you know, Poland was number two. Turkey is up on that list. I said Turkey's number two. Turkey's on the list higher, but Poland's number two. But Poland is the one that kind of sticks out a little bit on, on that list to me. But look, the bottom line is, is that the, the central banks who I would argue know the playbook, they're the ones that are massively accumulating the metal. And, and to see the United Arab Emirates make that statement is huge. It's not quite as big as OPEC saying, no, we're all going to do it. But I mean, how far removed from reality would it be to say, yeah, I could see OPEC saying we're done. You have the West that have put sanctions on Iran and put, putting sanctions on Russia. These are two of the members of BRICS, one new, one old. Um, and I think that's exactly what you are seeing, that these countries are standing up to the West and they're doing so in a manner where they're using natural resources and commodities at, at, and safety in numbers as as their rallying cry to to meld together we've decided to no longer take dollars for oil united arab emirates just said we're going to do that you're already seeing that happen with a lot of the countries that are moving away from settlement in dollars in other forms of energy or commodities like brazil selling soybeans and corn to china for yuan or or even france selling that buying liquid natural gas from the united arab emirates and paying in yuan there are deals being struck between Russia and India that are being paid in rupee and ruble. And this is going on and on and on. And how hard would it be in your mind's eye to see OPEC say, hey, listen, thanks for the memories. We're going to follow suit of the United Arab Emirates and 
and this growing de-dollarization of the BRICS, and we're going to band together and well, we're going to use local currencies to buy oil from or to accept for oil from now on. And all of the 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 uh, OPEC and BRICS members, you see, Brazil has just applied to to OPEC. Well, they're a BRICS member. They're they're striking deals outside the dollar with countries. So, how hard would it be for that for for us to say or for them to say that's it? How hard would it be for you to imagine that? And when that happens, that's when all hell breaks loose. That's when every country on the planet who has stockpiled dollars for 50 years no longer has a necessity to own them. And what does that mean? Well, that certainly means that any pivoting aspirations could be thrown out the window because the market, which would be much more powerful than the Fed, would have to respond to the dumping of dollars globally, which would be rising interest rates, massively rising interest rates, which you could argue, resets the whole system. And this is what I've been talking about for a long time and becomes even more stark when you realize the chief economic advisor to the, to, the, to the Biden White House is a man, Jared Bernstein, who wants to lose the reserve status of the dollar. So by weaponizing it, by signing, signing an executive order to go green and watching all the things that have happened corollary to, to, that, to those events, to me, it really isn't that far of a stretch. And then when you realize Lael Brainerd, number two, is a modern monetary theorist, and she wants the banks to blow up so that she can issue a central bank digital currency right from the Fed, having a few of the big commercial banks to do all the business and the mortgages and the loans and the leases. How hard is it to really see this and, and to argue maybe this is what they want, to find a villain, to point to those people, Putin and Xi Jinping and OPEC, they did it to us. It's their fault the whole system blew up. And I think that's exactly, in, in my mind's eye, what I see as the final, the final chapter of this book. I hope I'm wrong, but to see the seventh largest producer of oil in the world, an OPEC country, and one that was just admitted to BRICS alongside of Saudi Arabia, say we're not going to take dollars anymore and make the announcement two days before 200 countries come to their country to talk about climate change. Well, is it a coincidence or is it not? I don't think there are coincidences at that level. I think it's a shot across the bow. That's what that article was. And that is one of the deals why I've always said, you'll wake up on a Monday morning to a religious experience. Gold and silver will be through the roof. And, you know, treasury market will be, you know, collapsing. And, and, and the dollar will be collapsing and interest rates will be spiking. I mean, how hard is it to realize that? And so when we talk about that volatility, you know, Sunday night, we see gold two, three weeks ago, go, whoa. And, but, you know, it was muted. What happens when the world shuns the dollar to a level that people in the West can't even anticipate or imagine? It's the recency bias. It's the normalcy bias that makes everyone say that won't happen. And that's why I've become very fond of the phrase logarithmic decay. Little by little by little by little by little, bang, all at once you go over the falls. That's how Hemingway went broke. It's chopping down a tree. One X swing at a time. So take a look at any of those countries on that chart you just showed on the, on the new 20 countries that have applied. Each one of those, those 20 chops doesn't do a whole lot, but you keep chopping little by little by little. You chop away at the dollar, at the settlement status of the dollar that ultimately has to, to start to have consequences against the reserve status of the U.S. dollar. And a country that is indebted as ours, as... as, as um, uh, undercapitalized as ours, it's not a good a good place to be as as they keep chopping away at the settlement value. So, in essence, that's what that article said. But I will tell you that um, to me, 
Um, it's it's one of the biggest events we've seen since Saudi Arabia joined BRICS, uh, because this is something that I think ultimately is what we can expect to see by other OPEC countries and ultimately by OPEC itself. Well, I hear you. And I guess the thing that stands out the most is that you see these things heading in the same direction Election. day after day and, and as time goes by. So when prices in gold and silver reflect that more overtly, I guess we'll see in due time how that plays out. But you, you do see trends similar to what's going on with the Treasury debt load and with a slight diversion in the Fed's balance sheet, still you've seen that trend um, and some of these things continue to go. But think about it, Chris, this is exactly what they want. I mean, the West can't let gold and silver go higher because it says to the world the dollar sucks. And so the manipulation of, of suppressing gold and silver was originally done because of interest rate suppression, because of Gibson's paradox, the, in, the inverse relationship between real interest rates and gold. You can't suppress interest rates for all these years and let gold take off, or it says you're lying. So, but that's what the, the, uh, these other countries understood at some point and said, you know what, we'll beat them at their own game, slowly, methodically, we'll beat them at their own game. And we won't let it take off too fast. And we'll, we'll short the market alongside of them. And we'll just start accumulating as much as we can across the globe. And that's exactly what they're doing, methodically, beating us at our own game. And so the, the, you know, the West could say, fine, we'll just let gold go to the moon. But is that really what they want? No, they don't. And so this is something that I don't think they counted on all of these sovereign nations standing for delivery and, and accumulating as much as they can on every corner of the globe. Ultimately, gold and silver will have its day, their day. But I think that comes at the expense of the dollar. And so, like I said, little by little, um, little by little, and you'll wake up one morning and it will have just shifted. And it will be no warning to the people who haven't been paying attention. Yet, those of us who have been sounding the alarm, much to the chagrin of Al Gore, who says democracy is under threat because citizens are no longer all getting the same print news, and that the algorithms that the governments can't control are threatening threatening democracy. So evidently, you and I are a threat to, to democracy by saying this stuff. But though people who are watching the mainstream propaganda will wake up one morning and say, my God, what just happened? And the rest of us will say, why didn't you listen? For all of these years, we've been screaming. The tinfoil hat group has been screaming. But you don't have to be particularly astute to see the crumbs that are being laid at our feet. Like you said, you keep seeing it, a pattern. And that pattern, either you embrace and understand, or you just fall into the same old, um, you know, the, 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 the trap of recency bias and normalcy bias. That can never happen. There's no way that can happen. But it's happening. It hasn't fully happened, but little by little by little by little, it's happening. And I, I choose to be on the side of preparedness and hope I'm wrong. And um, I guess only time will tell, but I, for one, appreciate the forum to talk with you as someone who I respect tremendously in the way that you look at the world and um, kind of keeping me in balance. And um, I, I, I just think that this is just beginning, to be honest with you. Well, I hear what you're saying. It's surreal at times to watch it unfold day after day, year after year. And uh, geez, I guess it was 2018 or so when we started doing this channel more actively and you know, you've been doing this for a while and you see those years tick by and some of these things grow and grow and 
make your best decisions possible. So I suppose. That yeah, your hair work. wasn't so gray back then in 2018, nor was mine. So I don't know if it's father time catching up with us or, or, or watching this market, which makes you gray. Uh, I don't know, but I, for one, appreciate you very much and the platform that, that you have. And I know a lot of people do and ultimately will thank you. So final chapters haven't been written yet, brother. They haven't. But I, honest to God, believe 2024 will be probably the craziest. If I had to guess, I would say it's the craziest year of our of my career, which will be in its 34th year in February. And with the election, with the banking issues, with the BRICS, with the geopolitical, I mean, take your pick. Look around you. Uh, this is just getting crazy. And um, I guess we'll have a front row seat to talk about it, hopefully, through uh, through thick and thin. So one or two more episodes before the new year, and then it's probably the craziest year of my career, if I had to guess. Uh, well, let's, let's, let's see what the future brings us. Well... Certainly a lot on deck for 2024, although before we get there and in wrapping up today, anything on special on the silver side for anyone who is looking to add to their silver holdings at this point? Yeah, two very good things, in my opinion, and American uh, items that have been too expensive to recommend for the past four years. Uh, this is the best value that we've seen them at, literally, uh, in, in four years. We got the 2023 and backdate Silver Eagles at 499 over spot uh, um, delivered, anything over 100 ounces delivered for free shipping. And um, junk silver, dimes, quarters, half dollars. Well, we'll take the half dollars out of that. This would just be dimes and quarters at $3 over spot. I was paying eight or nine bucks over spot to buy junk silver back from the public less than a year ago. And uh, well, Silver Eagles, heck, I mean, they were 15, 16, 17 bucks everywhere in the country for the better part of the last three years. So two items that I like a lot uh, right now, especially with all of these states in the United States that are moving to accepting legal tender coins, past or present, issued by a sovereign mint as currency. Um, yeah, I, I think they're um, two very good choices here at the end of the year. All righty. Well, I appreciate that. And if people would like to take advantage of that or have questions, you can contact us at Arcadia at milesfranklin.com. And Andy, glad to have you back here. Glad you survived a weekend in Las Vegas, but good to talk some gold and silver as we continue on in the latest trading week. So only a couple of weeks left in the year. We'll see how things shake out, but certainly good times in the gold side, even if we're off the all-time highs and silver. I wonder if we'll get back to positive territory on the year. Quite quite a volatile year it's been, but we'll see how things play out, and we'll look forward to checking back in with you next week. I appreciate you, brother. Thank you very much. We'll see you soon.